basic assumption that we're working under is that God wants to be known more fully by us. We can be pretty certain of that. I think that's a good assumption because, well, he gave us the Bible. He revealed a great deal about himself to us in the Bible, about his character, about his nature, about his plans for us. One of the things he revealed to us in the Bible is this idea of him as father, right? Jesus teaches us, pray to our Father which art in heaven. He wants us to have a father-child relationship. Um, We're taught by Paul in in Romans 8 that the spirit that is given to us cries Abba from within us, cries that Aramaic is Daddy, a very, very, very personal name that a small child would call their father. We understand his greater, greater longing for fellowship with us also because of the names he's revealed to us. He's telling us more and more about himself, uh, and he's revealing that to us through the names. And I think everyone knows, I think it's pretty obvious that, like, I guess one of the very first things you do in a relationship, if you're going to say you have a relationship with somebody, whether it's a business partner or a friend uh, or whatever, it, you know their name, right? I mean, you, you know their name. If you don't know their name, it's like, I don't think you know that person all that well. Um, maybe in a really close relationship, you actually go beyond the name and you have a pet name, right? You have a nickname for that person. Maybe everybody knows them as, you know, lefty or whatever, shorty or whatever. Or maybe it's a name that just you share with your spouse or with your girlfriend or something. Um, and so this goes both ways in fellowship, uh, that we share with God. Revelations 5.17, this is just one of those weird verses. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but weird in a beautiful sort of way. Revelation 5.17 tells us that someday God will give you a name that's only known to you and Him. Talk about personal. You talk about private. You will receive a name that's only known to you and God. How special. I wonder what my name will be. I wonder what your name will be. Uh, after, and then a few weeks back, we talked about this name Yahweh, which is a very special name, a very private name. Used, it's only the name for God that Israel uses for their God, uh, Yahweh, um, the I Am. So names are a gateway to intimacy. They certainly don't guarantee that you know someone's name, that you're close to them, but they're certainly one step along that journey. Um, but names can get kind of tricky. I mean, I've told you before a hundred times probably about moving to Brazil, and thank God for middle names. I'm Gordon Wesley Dabs because in Brazil, Gordon means fatso, and who wants to be called fatso in, in the new adopted country? So thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad, for giving me a name, that uh, Wesley, that has no weird or ugly meaning in, in Portuguese. It served me well. Um, so keep that middle name handy. You know, you never know when you might need to might be moved abroad or something, and you might need that middle name uh, in case of emergency, break glass and pull that thing out. Well, things got tricky years back with my daughter Claudia. We chose her name when she was born for a very simple reason. We needed a name that would work in the United States and that would work in Brazil. That would be a name that would work very well for her in both countries. cultures, both countries, and obviously it'd be a beautiful name, and so we settled on Claudia. And I guess she was 
seven or eight years old when I did something I did occasionally. I was going to take her out on a daddy-daughter date, special evening there in Rio. And that night I thought, okay, oh, one of the things we'll do, so we'll go to one of her favorite places, a little pizza joint. And But one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to look up the meaning of her name. We had never done that. We didn't have the baby name, but we just picked one that sounded right in both. So I was like, I'm going to find out what her name means, and I'll share that with her tonight on our daddy-daughter date. So I'm sitting there on, on our bed, and I've got my laptop on my lap, and I'm Googling what her name means. And right about then, she walks up, and she says, what are you doing, Dad? I'm like, well, okay, she got me. So I was like, we're going to look up the meaning of your name. Okay, so there we are together, <laughs> looking up the meaning of her name, and bam, there it is on Google. Claudia means lame. <laughs> really, yeah, that's what it means. You can Google it, but that's what you'll find out. It means lame. Um, so can I just say, I really, really wish she hadn't been standing right there when I pulled that up. I might have chosen not to share that on our daddy-daughter date. Um, lame? Uh, yeah. So not a great start there. Um, the special name that your mother and I picked out for you when you were born is lame. Um, so <laughs> Now, so I'm quickly, you know, the wheels are spinning. I'm like, okay, it's also the name of a very special lady in the New Testament who knew Jesus, was friends with Jesus, ministered to Jesus. I mean, I'm hopping all around on this because there is a Claudia in the New Testament. Uh, but it's still a pretty name. Uh, so that's just between us, right? We're good? Okay. Uh, she knows what her name means, but she probably doesn't like the idea of me sharing that with everybody here. So names can be tricky. Of course, the names revealed in Scripture were not revealed by God because, well, this name is going to work better in the Greek language, and this one's going to work better in Latin, and this is going to work better. No, they weren't revealed because they worked in certain languages or sounded good in certain languages. They were revealed because they tell us something about who he is, about his character, uh, and about what he wants for us together, us and, and God, and for the world. And as we've seen over the past few weeks in the series, the names, it's so cool. I mean, they arrive, they, they pop up in these these situations, and they may be a situation of celebration, uh, they may be a situation of, of trial, but generally pretty dramatic situations. The name appears on the scene for the first time. Uh, El Shaddai, God Almighty. That name appears in the Bible at a moment where something very mighty needed to happen, namely a 100-year-old or a 99-year-old and an 89-year-old needed to get pregnant. And God said, your wife is going to get pregnant, Abraham. Um, in fact, you're not going to be Abram. You're going to, not going to be the father of the exalted father. You're going to be Abraham, the father of multitudes. And you can call me El Shaddai, God Almighty, because I'm going to make this happen. Um, so these names appear in, the, in great situations. Like that one appears in an impossible situation. Yahweh, the great I am, appears in a situation where Moses is having this incredible encounter with God. I mean, holy place. Uh, it, it's sacred ground. But all he can think about is his own inadequacies. All he can think about is, I'm not up to this task. I mean, God just told him, you're going to liberate the people from, Israel, or from Egypt. And, and Moses like, I can't do that. I'm not up to that. I'm not, full, I'm, not, I'm not eloquent. I'm not the person you're looking for. Um, and God says, look, you're not. But I am. Yahweh. That's my name. I am. I am the enabler. 
I'm the one who's going to make this happen. Uh, and so that name was very present for Moses in all of these different situations with Pharaoh and with the people that he found himself in. And so the, the names that God gives us, they speak to us um, when we face different crises and different moments of chaos in our lives. And job loss or, job loss or dropping out of school or giving up on a dream, breaking up with your fiancé. Um, these are names that we need in specific, specific moments. And we call out to God and we can use these names. After all, he's given them to us. So in the Bible, um, these names are given to people in specific situations to bless them, to encourage them, to reveal something about God that helps them to hold on when they're kind of standing at the edge of the cliff. Uh, and I think it's important that we get to know these names, that we get acquainted with these names uh, beforehand so we have them when we need them. When we come up to a situation where we're standing at, at the edge and we're not sure which way we're going to go, fall forward or remain firm. So here's the name we're going to talk about this evening. This is Yahweh Yireh, or as it's translated often into English, Jehovah Jireh, but Yahweh Yireh. The Lord will provide. And talk about a name being revealed to someone teetering on the edge of an emotional cliff. There is no story in Scripture short of the passion of the Christ that is more emotionally charged than this one. It is the name revealed in Scripture when Abraham takes Isaac on God's commands up Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac, the promised son, the one through whom all of these descendants and these multitudes are to come. And it's that moment where God spares Isaac and gives Moses a ram to sacrifice instead. God provides uh, at that moment of great angst. So we're going to read quite a bit here. Um, I'll put it on the screen. But this is, from, this is from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 18. Just listen to this story. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Think about that. God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love very much. Go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him along with his son, Isaac. He chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. It's a mountain. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Hold on to that one. We will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. The two of them walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, man, this, <laughs> this is intense, right? Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, we have the fire and we have the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide Yahweh Yireh, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. 
Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. That's the edge, teetering on the edge, faith being tested. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here am I. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all nations, prophecy about Jesus, through your descendants, all nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. All because you have obeyed me. And that word ire in the, in the Hebrew, it can mean to provide. It can mean to see receive sight. God tested Abraham's faith. I think that's putting it mildly. Has he ever tested yours? Hopefully not like this, but has he ever tested yours? Why would we assume that God doesn't still test our faith? We see that's what he does at times with people that he loves very much. And in those moments, we have an opportunity to see God, to see God in a way to experience God and His provision in a way that is unique. Maybe it's something we've never experienced before. Um, Because when we're tested, part of that means that we find ourselves in a particular place where we don't have the resources to manage, okay? That's what testing is. Don't have the emotional resources, the financial resources, the physical resources, don't have the resources to cope with this. Um, or to bargain, or to make a deal. Uh, We're left only with one way we can turn. Only to God. Those testing moments, no one wants them. No one asks for them, but they're real. And if we'll be open to God at those times, we're going to come out knowing God more deeply, trusting God more fully, and loving God more completely than ever. So this place where this occurs is actual geographical place. Um, we know where this is. This is Mount Moriah. This is, we would know it today as the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. You can visit there. If you've been on a tour to the Holy Land, you probably have. The Temple Mount. It's considered the most sacred place anywhere to Jews, to the Jewish people, to where the temple would eventually sit centuries later, where the Holy of Holies would would be centuries later. It's holy to the Muslims. It's the third holiest place on planet Earth to the Muslims, the home of the Al-Aqsa Mosque there, that big gold dome mosque in Jerusalem. So it's a very important place to us 
as Christians to Jews and to Muslims as well. Um, After Abraham's encounter with God on the mount, that place centuries later becomes the site where David sacrificed to the Lord at the place where the temple would one day stand, at the place where his son Solomon would construct the temple. Uh, 1 Samuel 24, David's making those sacrifices. Back to the original dramatic story there, a disturbing story in some ways. Abraham was asked to take his son up on top of this mountain, his promised child, take him up there, bind him, and sacrifice him to the Lord. Wow. Now, This is why we need the Old Testament and the New Testament, this story among many. The New Testament gives us information. Sometimes the Old Testament gives us information that puts the story together. And very important information we get in the New Testament here. Namely, even as Abraham bound his son and prepared his son for the altar, Abraham believed that this crisis of faith on Mount Moriah would not end in the death of his son. Yes, we get a hint from the story when Abraham says, we will return. But you might think, well, he's just saying that to keep the servants happy. You know, they might want to save Isaac or something. But he really did. He really did believe that they would come walking back down the side of the mountain. Hebrews chapter 11, the New Testament gives us this insight into the frame of mind of Abraham. Verses 17 and 19, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So yeah, for centuries and centuries after that moment, that particular piece of real estate, that spot where Isaac would have been sacrificed, but instead a ram was sacrificed that Yahweh Yireh provided, that spot was the epicenter of the Jewish faith. It is the spot where for generations and generations the Jewish people would bring their lambs to be slaughtered, to be sacrificed. Yahweh Yireh. God provides at this moment where Abraham's faith is stretched to a breaking point. And for centuries, Israelites climbed that same mountain to offer their sacrifices to God, to connect them to forgiveness and freedom that comes from God. That place of pain was transformed into a place of worship and thanksgiving because of the provision of God. place of grief became a place of grace where sins were forgiven. Now, putting the story together again, Old Testament, New Testament. You come into the New Testament, and in the Gospels, the mountain of God, Mount Moriah, casts its shadow on another mountain, Golgotha, close by. Uh, The place 
of the skull. And ultimately, that promise that God made to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you and through your son Isaac. That promise is fulfilled through Jesus Christ on that mountain. As Jesus, the Holy Son of God, climbed the mountain, moving toward his altar, knowing that this time the hand of the executioner would not be stayed, his blood would be spilled on that cross at Golgotha in the shadow of Mount Moriah. And in that place, Father and Son brought their redemptive plan to completion. So for sinners like us, that is the place where grace flows. Jesus became our sacrifice. Jesus took on the penalty that we deserved. Father and Son would willingly make that sacrifice on the cross so that all of us could be forgiven, so that all of us could come back home to God, so that all of us could know God as Father. And ultimately, it is the place where God the Father gave His only Son to be a sacrifice for us. And the provision that Abraham experienced was nothing compared to the future provision that it foreshadowed. For Abraham, the provision meant that his son, his single son there, was to be spared from death at least for a while. Eventually, we know Isaac passed away, like everyone. For sinners like us, though, the provision at Calvary means that all are spared by the grace of God for all time. And the entire sacrificial system that was tied up around Mount Moriah for centuries and centuries, it would become forever obsolete. There would be no need for more lambs to be slaughtered because the very Lamb of God had come to offer Himself as the perfect once-for-all sacrifice for humanity. And by the way, all in right now, we're in the book of Hebrews, and you can read all about it in the book of Hebrews. In the first chapter of John's gospel, John the Baptist, not the author, but John the Baptist has this, this amazing moment of recognition when he sees Jesus approaching. In John chapter 1, verse 29, we're told, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For us, that's not weird. To, to people hearing that, that must have been very strange. I mean, there's no cross. There's no Easter story at this point in John chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a prophecy, right, about Jesus, about what he would do. Yahweh Yireh, the Lord who provides. It is a name that's comforting. It's a name that's kind of challenging to our faith as well, right? Uh, the name is a promise that God will provide whatever I need in whatever task he's called me to do. Uh, and if he's provided for sinners like us to be forgiven and to be raised with him for eternity... He can provide for all of the other situations that we are tested by, right? Um, yeah. 
The Lord will provide. And we can come to him and call on that name with confidence even today. But there's more to the story than just that name. Hey, I love that name. I love, yeah, there's, there's more to the story. And you probably picked up on it as we were going through that story of Abraham. There are some things we really need to hold on to here because we've got to learn to trust him. A huge part of trusting God is obedience. Um, for Abraham, it's this obedience that unlocks God's miraculous provisions. Because you obeyed, you'll be blessed. The same goes for us. You see, obedience makes my life blessable by God. It opens my life to the promises and to the plans that God has for me because I'm moving into those. I'm walking in those instead of outside of those. My life becomes blessable. Genesis 22, 16 and 17. This is what the Lord says at the end of the story there. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld your son, your only son, I swear by my own name, I will certainly bless you because you've obeyed me. Obedience. It opened pathways of blessing for Abraham. And not in an entirely selfish way. God's blessing me, but blessing in that through Abraham, then we are all blessed because of his obedience. Because God's plan has moved forward there. But telling God, hey, yes, Certainly, I'll obey you in the future. I mean, not convenient right now. Not a good time for me right now. My life situation. I know what you want me to do, but let's, let's hold off on that. <laughs> Telling God that I'll get around to obeying you later, this kind of delayed obedience is another way of saying immediate disobedience. Does that make sense? Like future obedience, yes. That means immediate disobedience. <laughs> Does that make sense? Um, or... Following God, but, you know, with some amendments, some writers, a few tweaks to God's plan, some caveats, um, a little bit of holding back. Well, that's another kind of disobedience, right? Um, If delayed obedience is immediate disobedience, then partial obedience is actually complete disobedience. Now, we need to talk about something here. Trusting in God to provide... Believing that God will live up to his name, Yahweh Yireh, it does not mean that his provision is something that he's going to like put on a billboard for us. Okay, this is how God's going to do it. Or that he's going to send us a text. Okay, here's how this situation is going to work out. I'm taking care of it. It doesn't mean that he's going to tell us how he's going to act, right? How he's going to provide. It doesn't mean to say that he, he's going to tell us when. He's going to provide. It just means that he will. It doesn't tell us what form his provision is going to take. In this Yahweh-me relationship, the Lord is under no obligation to reveal to me all of his plans or the reason behind his plans, or the details of how he will provide, because in this Lord-me relationship, he's the Lord. (laughs) I'm not. 
Hebrews eleven seventeen to 18 says, Abraham was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac will be the son through whom your descendants will be counted. So Abraham believes, trust is a better word, Abraham trusts that God is going to make this work out. He doesn't know how. In fact, his best guess is not actually how God does it. Like, I'm going to kill Isaac, but God's going to raise it. No, that's not even how it happens. But that's okay. He trusts God is going to work it out, and he doesn't need to know how. Okay? Um, and so he's faithful. He walks by faith, not by sight. Um, faith takes flight. Faith soars in moments like this one where Abraham, where he knew the big thing. The big thing, God is faithful. And he trusted God with the details, with the little things. Um, and that God would work out all the particularities there in the situation. Now, one final thing. As believers, it's good and it's right for us to mark and to celebrate those times when we experience the providence of God, the provision of God. Genesis 22, verse 14, Abraham, or rather, sorry, yeah, Abraham names the place, right? He says, this place has a new name. I'm going to call this place the Lord provides. I'm going to call this place Yahweh Yireh. Um, so Abraham wants to make sure I got this place marked. I got this place named. When future generations come by here, they're going to know this is the place. It's going to remind them this is the place that reminds them God will provide. Um, he wanted to name it. He wanted to celebrate it. He wanted people to know about it. It wasn't something he was going to keep secret. Um, truth is, that's why the founding fathers, this time of year, why they came up with Thanksgiving, with the holiday that we're about to celebrate. It's, it's really the same thing. Um, you can look it up. You know, when George Washington wrote this declaration about Thanksgiving, making it a national holiday, it was supposed to be a moment where this nation would pause, cease working, and would give thanks to God because God has provided, because God has taken care of us. And so we trust in God who loves us, who takes care of us, we trust Him to provide us with everything we need, and we call it out. We proclaim it when we see God do that. When we see God step in and provide, we name it, we celebrate it. Let's bow our heads together. We're going to pray, close out our time. Lord God, Yahweh Yireh, We confess tonight our lack of faith. And at times, even our tendency to shrink back when you ask us to do something difficult. Help us to have more faith. More faith in you. In your provision for us when we feel overwhelmed. Outmatched by life's situations. Yahweh Yireh, give us the courage and conviction to offer to you the sacrifice you desire from us. We don't want to hold back. We want to be fully yours. 
We want your blessing to be unlocked in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our mission field here in Dallas and beyond. And Yahweh Yireh, may we see how you provide and call it out, name it, give thanks for it, and tell others about it. Most of all, in the spirit of thanksgiving, we want to thank you for providing for us through the cross. You spared no expense. You paid the ultimate price to bring sinners like us the freedom and the forgiveness that we desperately need. Thank you. Thank you. We pray these things in the name of the Lamb of God. Amen. Let's be standing. Let's worship together.